an alcoholic? I'm honored to uh, introduce my friend Derek, who is a big part of our men's group, and uh, he's a connector, and he's doing this, uh, he's doing, he's all in on AA, he's such a uh, powerful example for all of us men, so I love you, Derek, welcome, it's your turn. Love you, bud. Thank you. Nice time. Yeah, thank you. Hi, everybody. My name is Derek, and I'm definitely an alcoholic. I qualify as a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and uh, you're going to get to hear uh, what it was like, uh, you know, when I drank and uh, partied and had fun. What happened? You know, what was the event that drove me into this? Uh, group that I definitely didn't want to be a part of, and uh, then what it's like now. Now, I have to say before I even start um, that uh, you all may get absolutely nothing out of what I'm about to say tonight. I just walk away and just go, I can't believe that guy wasted an hour and a half of my time or however long I have. <laughs> total, total, total. Stay with me. And, um, but tonight, when I go home and lay, uh, put my head on my pillow, I'm going to have the chance to recall the horrors <laughs> of my alcoholism, and I'm going to be really thankful, you know, as I chew my pillow. So, welcome to the newcomers. Um, I'm, I'm really glad that you're here. Um, you know, that the, my journey started um, when, I was, uh, <laughs> when I was 12. I got a hold of my first beer. And uh, it was wonderful. I drank two uh, Old English 800s and got on my bicycle and rode through the mean streets of Corona Del Mar and uh, knocked over some trash cans and I uh, just felt wonderful and I couldn't wait to get loaded again. And then, um, uh, you know, I just, my dad came to me at some point. He'd seen my mother have to fling herself off of a two-story building uh, and try and kill herself. And, uh, he, and uh, he came to me you know, when I was pretty young, and he said, hey, if you don't drink or do any drugs, by the time you're 18, I'll buy you a brand new BMW. And uh, I said, what do you say to that when you've already broken it before it even comes to you? So I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna give it a college try, Dad. And, um, and uh, you know, I went through adolescence like anybody is drinking and partying and all that stuff. And um, when I was 16, um, I was at an apartment, you know, we were partying or whatever, and someone gave me some white powdered uh, form of alcohol. And, um, and I, I knew uh, what the third step was, because in Alcoholics Anonymous, we turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. And I turned um, my will and my life over to the care of that stuff. I really did. I was, I was all in. And I apologize about talking specifically about some uh, drugging and drinking because when I was new and somebody mentioned something about that, my intestines would roil. I actually had to you know, go use the bathroom because I was a horrible drug addict and an alcoholic. So, but hopefully um, by the time I get sober, um, you're going to have a chance to relive a little bit of my horrors and uh, maybe you can relate too. But, um, I, uh, I managed to get into uh, junior college. I went to OCC, and um, I, by the time I graduated with OCC, I got accepted to a college in Los Angeles, and when I arrived there, my disease was in full fold. So it's hard to even imagine, you know, I don't even know the people in here that are like 19 or 20 years old, but I mean, I was at the last stages of my alcoholism at that age. And, and I got into school there, and I found out about the student um, loan program. <laughs> And so I started taking those checks to um, my alcohol dealer, and um, 
and uh, I was playing this role as like this rich kid and um, he started fronting me and then eventually um, I'm like, dude, I don't have any money. And he goes, well, you know, I won't kill you, but the guys that I buy from will. And so at uh, 22 years of age, I went to my dad and I said, you know, I'm sorry, dad, I have a small problem with not habit forming cocaine. And, um, and he said, uh, you know, we've already had this discussion a long time ago, you know, good luck. And so um, I thought about that very seriously. And so um, I bought a one-way plane ticket to Miami Beach, Florida, because at that time, my uh, chemical of choice was selling for about half price in Miami than it was in Los Angeles. And I figured I could kind of eat and die on the discount program. So um, I flew there and uh, immediately, uh, really in the, in the midst, I know this is an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. I have a profound respect for Alcoholics Anonymous and the singleness of purpose. Um, if you don't understand why old timers get upset when you start talking about drugs, is that there were other, uh, there were other, there was the Washingtonians that were like in the 1800s and then there was the Oxford group that were precursors to Alcoholics Anonymous. And what they tried to do is they tried to be everything to everyone. So if you have a problem beating your wife, if you have a problem, you know, with, you know, acting out sexually, if you have a problem overeating, no problem, come into our group and we're going to be able to help you. And you might have heard that saying before, you know, if you try and please everyone, you please no one. And those societies uh, disappeared and, and you have to think you know um, ever since um, humankind first figured out how to crush grapes and make a little go-go juice um, th there was no solution for people like us right so it's only been in the past you know Alcoholics Anonymous just celebrated their 85th uh, anniversary those of you that are going to go to Detroit uh, it's going to be really awesome if you want to be around I don't know 30,000 of our sober members of Alcoholics Anonymous that's going to be awesome but um, where the hell was I? I have no idea. I was giving a history lesson instead of talking about... Yeah, so thank you. So I land in Miami Beach. Thank you very much. And um, I became a street uh, person. And um, I, um, I got a job there. I got arrested. I got thrown into the Dade County Stockade. And I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a white boy from uh, Bel Air, California. And I'm in, uh, you know, a, a year max or a year or more holding facility in Dade County. And, um, and they're not going to let me out because I'm a flight risk because I don't know anybody there and I don't have any money. I think my bail was $25 and I said to the judge, I don't have it. And he goes, go to the stockade. So somehow I got out of there. And when I got out of uh, Dade County Stockade, I was so grateful someone had bailed me out. I got down on the, court, on the floor outside of the courtroom and I actually kissed the ground. I was so happy. I was like, I'm never going to do that again. Bad stuff. No drinking, no using. And that night after I got loaded again, you know, you, maybe you start to see the powerlessness. I don't know if anybody in this room has ever, you know, made a decision not to do that stuff anymore. And yet we're all here tonight on Sunday night. But, um, you know, that was just a theme. And uh, eventually, um, in, when I was 22, I was living in a, uh, a hotel and they were stealing the air conditioning units out of it uh, to go sell for scrap. Um, kind of tells you how high, high level I was as a drinker. Um, and I had a choice because I'd th been thrown out of my apartment. I had a choice to move in with either a regular prostitute or a transvestite prostitute. And I won't tell you which one I chose. And, um, and uh, that didn't go so well. And then uh, finally, I was, I was penniless, homeless, walking down the beach in South Miami Beach. And I just walked up to this uh, young woman and I said, you know, will you take care of me? And, um, and she said yes. And uh, that's my story. I always, as, uh, as drinking and using, as I need a mommy, 
really, because I can't take care of myself. I'm too busy getting loaded. Is this being recorded? <laughs> Bad juju. Anyway, but that's true. That's really. And uh, unfortunately, even in sobriety, right, I, uh, my character defects were such that, um, you know, I, um, I uh, gave away my authority, if you will. But we'll t this isn't a psychology talk. Um, but anyway, um, I... Uh, I met this guy when I was flying um, out from California, and he was going to be down on the Virgin Islands. And he was going to set up a little beach chair, you know, right at the base of the ramp where the cruise ships pulled off and the girls were going to come down, and that sounded like a great idea. So I convinced this girl's family that I was a, a computer science graduate from UCLA and that I was interested in marrying her, and so they paid for an all-expense-paid trip down to the Virgin Islands. And uh, when I got down there, I tried my best to get, uh, turn her into a crack whore. Um, and that, uh, that experiment, finally she said no and she uh, left and, uh, and I was down there and a couple weeks later I got beat up um, in an alley because I did a bad transaction and I was looking in the mirror that night and I can't go to the hospital and get stitched up because I'm really high and, um, and I thought maybe that was the first moment that I might have a small problem. I went through that whole entire deal until that moment. That just shows how powerful denial is in my life. I really don't know what's going on. I believe that this is a disease of perception. You know, um, someone can say, excuse me, would you take you know, the trash out as an employee? And what I hear is, um, you know, you're the worst employee I've ever had in my entire life. And so my reaction is I'm gonna steal the company car, you know, and that's just the way my mind works. I don't know what's going on. Uh, and that's why I need a sponsor so much. I mean, I can tell you just as little as, um, I have several sobriety dates, um, I'll get into that in a little bit, but I can tell you, um, I have um, about 20 months now, and uh, at about uh, eight or nine months, um, some guys walked into one of the meetings I was at, and I was sitting next to my sponsor, and I turned to him, and I said, those guys are in here to drag me out into the parking lot and beat the, you know, what out of me. He goes, what are you talking about? It's that I just, um, my head, uh, just was so filled with paranoia and uh, alcohol and whatever else it was, I just I can't see reality. It probably won't surprise you that I ended up as a ward of the state uh, in a mental institution where people were washing their faces in the toilet, but um, yet I hear st I'm standing up as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous as though I have something to offer. But um, <laughs> so. Um, so I, uh, I, 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 get, I get beat up, and, I, and I, of course I go to the payphone, and I call my girlfriend up. She was going uh, to the University of Florida, and I said, hey, baby, wouldn't it be great if we got to back together? And so she paid for me to fly up there. Now, um, I'm going to stop right there, because this is 1986 that I'm talking about. And if you're new here in the program, you can't possibly relate. You know, to, I'm, I've, I've grown up, and I've grown old in Alcoholics Anonymous. But I'll tell you, I was at the Canyon Club about a year ago, and I heard this story. So again, I was in the Virgin Islands. What I was trying to do is I was trying to live on a boat for free, because there's a lot of boats down there, right? And, uh, and I was trying to stay on a boat there. So I heard this speaker tell this story. He said uh, he was in charge of most of the trafficking for that island down there in 1986. And, uh, and he, um, had, uh, he had a boat down there. And it's a very small island, and I was going around trying to find people to let me stay on their boat. I ended up living on a boat down there, uh, and at the end of it, my rent was to bail it out because it was sinking. So I guess his boat was a little bit better than the one that I ended up in. And by the way, I repaid the harbor master by sinking his skiff. And, uh, 
Anyway, so this guy tells this story about how in 1986 um, he uh, was approached by somebody and said, hey, can I stay on your boat? And he said, sure. And the guy said, hey, is there anything I need to know? And he said, no, man, no, you don't. No, you, I don't need to know anything. Now, again, this is a major trafficker. Well, um, when, uh, when that kid was staying on that boat, uh, his competing rivals came on the boat and chopped that kid up into a bunch of pieces and murdered him and threw him overboard. And um, it's so interesting, you know, uh, Norm Alpe, which is a real old timer, nobody will even know that except Bobby because he got sober before uh, beer. Um, <laughs> but uh, this guy used to talk about that we as alcoholics are, are like, it's, we, are, we, we, we live or die by inches or seconds, really. You think about the people that, um, you know, run into the kid and end up in prison for the rest of life, or the friends that we have that have died of this disease because they're just going to get a little bit more, right? Um, and somehow I wasn't the one to do that, and maybe you'll see in my story that um, there's a reason why I'm here. Um, so anyway, um, I got there, and um, I got there, and um, my girlfriend was finding my behavior a little unmanageable. Uh, some of the highlights of that period was um, she would go to class, and then I would steal her car, uh, get high, and then I would projectile vomit into the instrument panel of her brand new car that her dad bought her. And then um, I would lock the car and then go in and crawl into sleep. And uh, then you know, she'd wake me up from her noon class or whatever and be yelling at me. And I love that Clancy line. I'm, I'm glad that I had so much psychotherapy because I was instantly able to realize what her problem was. She was overreacting. And, um, but um, anyway, so um, finally it wasn't going to work out. So she introduced me to her friend. He was going to teach me how to uh, quit drinking by smoking pot. Uh, that experiment didn't go so well. And I, I do want to say that, um, you know, if, if, you're, if you want to be sober and in a position to work the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, I found that I, I need to be sober, right? So um, I don't take anything that affects me from the neck up. Now, I'm not talking about um, psych, psych drugs, right? We're not talking about that. But um, to be sober is to be sober is to be sober. And I find that that's very important. Um, we, I don't, uh, you know, people that I hang with and that are active sober members of Alcoholics Anonymous, they don't go smoke dope and then come in and sponsor people. That's just my opinion. Um, and again, anything I say that doesn't uh, line up with the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, just, just toss it out. But um, anyway, so um, I got into treatment. I got, uh, I got into treatment. I went to detox. My girlfriend picked me up from there and I said, she said, now that you're off the cocaine, let's go get some alcohol. That experiment didn't work very well. Um, but eventually I ended up in treatment. So now I'm sober. This is October of 1987. And um, uh, they wouldn't let me into the main room, right? So for a week, I had to write on my first step. And then eventually, uh, I was allowed to join the group. So after a week of in the treatment facility, there's about 40 guys, uh, they invited me into this room. Now this was horseshoe style confrontational attack therapy. And uh, I had been writing on my first step and you know, I thought I'd done a pretty good job of being honest. And so I went down there and they put me in the hot seat. And one of the guys, uh, you know, had like 60 days of sobriety, so he knew everything about the program, um, asked me, he said, uh, you know, so what are you doing here? And I said, well, uh, I'm on vacation in Florida. And he's like, what? And I said, yeah, I'm a, I'm a UCLA student on vacation in Florida. And he started getting really agitated and a bunch of other people started getting really agitated and they started screaming at me. And they said, uh, you have no idea of your predicament. You're a hopeless alcoholic and a drug addict and you think you're on vacation. 
you're in a $5 a day dirt basketball indigent treatment facility and you think you're on vacation. And they threw me out of the room. And I went upstairs uh, to my bed and uh, I started um, packing up my stuff and the house manager came in and uh, like Justin and uh, he came walking in and I said, I said, look, I'm not going to make it. I don't want to hear it from you, Justin. And, um, and, uh, and he said, he said, like they all do, they all have like ninja of words. And he said, well, we didn't think you would. <laughs> but from what we understand of your story, you've been able to put uh, you know, a week together and you haven't had that for a long time. So uh, why don't you take your paper slippers and get down on your hands and knees and tuck up, up underneath your bed and thank the dust bunnies up underneath your bed for you being able to put a week together. And, I, you know, and then you could leave tomorrow. And so in some weird act, and I think that's what it's like in Alcoholics Anonymous, Mike did a wonderful job sharing. It's like we do things uh, you know, to get sober that um, we know won't work and then have nothing to do with our problems. And, and, and what I've come to find in, this is my uh, over 30 years in here, is that um, the treatment for alcoholism is the application of spiritual principles. There's a line that I'm trying to find, and they were talking about it in like 39. They said something like, for the application of spiritual principles uh, was not as well known in, in the treatment of alcoholism it is, is now. And that's really, that, if you're here and you want to be an active sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous, you want to get sponsored and work the steps, what you're really doing is you're getting a treatment uh, that, uh, that means applying spiritual principles. Now that not, won't make any sense or whatever, but the first one, uh, you might be able to recognize the spiritual principle behind the first step, because we, um, we uh, admit, admit, right, so we're honest. And uh, I don't know about you, but I would steal your stuff and then help you look for it. I, had, I was in full flight from reality. I had, I had no, people would say, tell the truth, and I would say, which truth? I mean, I'll tell you whichever one you want. I had no idea about, about honesty. And um, I, uh, in taking that simple act, um, I woke up the next morning and um, I, felt a little, I felt a little different, I don't know. And I stayed and I started going to Alcoholics Anonymous and um, and somehow um, the magic happened for me. And some of the highlights of that time, I was 3,000 miles from home, I didn't know anybody, and I'm in this residential treatment center, and they're taking us to the Alcoholics Anonymous clubhouse uh, every day, and um, I'm, these people are starting to say, hi Derek, nice to see you, hi, welcome back, and people haven't been saying, keep coming back to me for a long time. And um, eventually, um, I, uh, somebody told me that I needed to uh, do a four-step. And so I went down to the local clubhouse and um, I asked one of the old-timers, I said, I need to do a four-step, I need to do a four-step. And he said, well, we need, let's get you a sponsor. And um, I don't know if you know this, but um, if you've been sober a while, uh, what, you, what you do is you, you get a full life and then you start forgetting what it was like when you were new. And so um, this unfortunate soul, his name was Steve, uh, he came down to the local Lano Club like slumming to try and find like some sick toxic newcomer that would make him feel more grateful about his life. And one of the old timers uh, you know, put me with him. And um, I proceeded to make Steve's life absolutely miserable. Um, I remember one day he asked me to call him, so I would call him every day. One day, um, uh, in those days, the phones didn't cut off after you rang a couple of times. So one day I was just like really wanted to talk to him, so I just let the phone ring until he came home. And um, on like the 200th or 300th <laughs> ring, 
his uh, wife answered the phone screaming at me, who the hell is this? And I said, I just want to talk to sleep. She goes, I'm in the bath, you asshole, and slammed the phone down on me. And he would call me and say, you know, you're a complete maniac. Um, and I needed to talk to him another time, and he was getting his doctorate in, um, in uh, psychology from the University of Florida. And so I knew how to access, you know, remote uh, uh, phones. And so he gave me the main number for the psychology department, so I would just ring the phones down the hallway trying to find him. And, uh, and he said, you know, you got my phone privileges taken away from me at the university. They, they told me not to give the phone number to the main thing to the men his mental patients. And um, one day, one day Steve, um, one day Steve uh, said, meet me out front of, of the place I was. So I, I went out front, and he pulls up, he goes, get in the car. And, and he said things to me um, that were so mean. He said, I can't believe you're, so, you're still sober. So many people better than you have gone back out drinking. Um, um, one, um, so anyway, so I get in the car with him, and we drive down to some junkyard, and he walks up to this dirty mechanic. You know, it's got grease all over him, so Steve's dressed in a tweed coat. You know, he's... he's, he's, he's now, what, what happened was, is this is where Steve had started eight years before, right? He was a junkyard mechanic, and now he was getting his doctorate. And, and that's kind of the story of Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't, uh, I don't believe in miracles. I expect miracles. This is a place where people crawl out of dumpsters, and the next thing you know, they're practicing law, and they have a white picket fence and 2.5 kids, um, if that's what you want. Uh, this is a place that anything can happen. And... Um, and Steve walked up to this guy and he said, do you have any old beaters that, that this kid could fix up? And I'm like, I don't even know what's going on. So they, they towed a car. The guy peeled off, like my sponsor peeled off like $300 and out a car towed to my house. And he said, I'm never driving into another meeting again. You're going to take newcomers in this car. And that brings up a good point because um, if you're new and your sponsor has not bought you a car yet, you're getting ripped off. <laughs> Mine did. Um, so... There's no way that I'm going to be able to tell my story here tonight, but how many more minutes do I have? No, I don't. No, I don't. Nine o'clock, stop. So about 20 minutes? So about 20 minutes for 30 years of, as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. No problem. That's not a problem. So, um, so uh, they told me uh, no major changes in the first year. Okay, so uh, so many people I see come out here and they ask me to be their sponsor. And I say something simple, which I had the personal experience. Okay, no problem, no major changes in the first year. Yeah, but I'm gonna, I gotta get a job and I gotta make my money back and I have to get a girlfriend and I gotta fly home and I gotta go back with me and my homies. All, I didn't do any of that stuff, I stayed. I stayed uh, 3,000 miles from home where I didn't know anybody and I planted my roots in Alcoholics Anonymous. And they said, after a year, uh, you may have enough spirituality, you may have enough program in you that you may survive when you go home. And sure enough, at about a year and a half, um, I came back home. I was reunited with my family in Laguna Beach, and, um, and I had a charmed life. There are some people in the room tonight that remember, you know, 89, 90, 91. Um, I was complaining to my sponsor in, uh, I think, 90, um, that I had a good job and I had a place and I'm three years sober. Um, I, I got sober in 87, so 91, right? So four years sober. I was com complaining to my sponsor, uh, that, uh, which is what we do as newcomers. We wind to our sponsors and then they give us magic sentences and then we go happily ever after. Um, 
and uh, I was complaining to my sponsor Lynn and uh, about uh, I didn't have a girl right you know I want to get married right so I have a car and a job and all this stuff and he said um, go join a gym and she'll appear I thought I'm, that's a, the stupidest thing I've ever heard my t mumbo jumbo sponsor you know Sponsors can be so mystical. I mean, I remember one time I went to my sponsor, I went to a bunch of old timers in the room, and I said, why do you all always answer a question with a question? And they said, do we? <laughs> so, that's an old Ken Devane line, like 89. But anyway, um, so I went to him and he said, and I said, I'm not going to join a gym. And he said, uh, he said, well, then you're not allowed to come and whine to me anymore. So I love whining and complaining, that's just what we do as sponsees. And, um, and so I did. I joined the gym and Shannon O'Shea was in the gym that day. Yes, I'm breaking your anonymity at the level of press radio films. And uh, Mike Johnson and a couple of other guys were there. And, um, and I looked over on the thigh master and there was my high school sweetheart. And I walked up to her and I said, uh, so-and-so, Alex, and she said, Derek, and we had a gigantic AA wedding in Laguna Beach, and uh, we wanted to move into the country, so we moved up to Santa Maria. A call was made. I was assigned a new sponsor, you know, uh, up in Santa Maria, um, which is about uh, 200 miles north. There really is a big difference between going to AA and being an active, sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And if you haven't had the privilege of being an active, sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous, it's a whole different deal. The, the relationships that I have with the men in this room, that they have saved my life. Uh, and uh, we, we go together, like tonight, um, I'm like, I'm speaking, and so like 20 people showed up. Just, just uh, it's um, we, we talk all the time, it's unbelievable. And so a, um, a call was made, I was assigned a new sponsor, and I joined Alcoholics Anonymous up in Santa Maria and um, got busy. Uh, as a member, uh, sponsoring guys and so forth. And unfortunately, um, the quality, Bill writes in the 12 and 12, of our entire program rests upon our, um, our ability to seek and do the will of God. Now, uh, that's the third step, if you want. In the third step, we turn our will and our lives over the care of God as we understand Him, but that's really just our thoughts and our actions. And I was kind of holding some stuff back. I had some stuff that I was doing and I'd been doing for a long time. Uh, you know, we can assign trauma to or whatever, but I just absolutely refused. And I still, to a certain degree, I refused to turn it over and it makes me absolutely miserable. But, um, you know, the seven deadly sins aren't the seven small problems that never bothered anybody, in my opinion. Um, they're, they're the seven deadly sins and they're envy, uh, greed, gluttony, pride, anger, lust, and sloth. And I don't, I'm not going biblical on you, so just interpret it however you want. Move it into Eastern religion, move it into Yahweh or uh, ast astrology or whatever you want. I don't care. Um, but those are they're real. And um, and I, I was struck down um, with a couple of them, and I think. Um, uh, I, I believe that we're assigned those or that we even believe that these are the things that I agree to overcome as I come into this, uh, this life. And, um, and I think those things um, cause me, I think the whole game, everything, this, everything I see, feel, touch, or do is one just a gigantic exercise to have me crawl up on my father's lap and say, I'm sorry, I can't do this. So every bit of adversity, you know, that I've gone through gets me to the point where I say, Dad, I can't do this anymore. Or Mom, or Mother Earth, or whatever you want to use, right? 
And, uh, and so um, these things, um, I'm in Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm trying my best to be sober and I can't stop doing these things, right? I mean, our prisons fill, are filled with um, people that have been, uh, are in prison for anger, right? Our, our prisons are filled with um, uh, people that were uh, so envious they had to steal, right? Our hospitals are filled with people that are so gluttonous uh, that they have, quote-unquote, heart disease. But it's, it's this stuff, it's, um, the disease of alcoholism, in my opinion, morphs. Once we get sober, once I got sober, um, the disease moves into other areas. Um, and uh, if you're new here, the good news is, if I'm willing, if, if I'm willing to, to stay close and, 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 and try and help other people, God, isn't it great that we all don't go crazy on the same day? I mean, literally. You know, um, and um, if, I'm, if I'm willing to stay in this and keep going to meetings and keep trying to help other people, um, I have a chance to get um, the seventh step, the sixth and seventh step happen, which, um, you know, um, one of my sponsors many years ago said, you know, Derek, nothing happens in my life until I'm entirely ready. And, ha you know, I think about that step. We're entirely ready to have God remove these defects of character. I missed that for like 32 years in Alcoholics Anonymous. It doesn't say Derek's going to remove his defects of character. It says God's going to remove his defects of character. And then I would vacillate, well, okay, well, God, if you're going to do it, then I can go do whatever I want, right? Well, that cost me my marriage. You know, my wife, after 25 years, said, I can't deal with you anymore. I'm leaving you. And took my kids, and, you know, I'm, I'm radioactive, right? So I'm... I <laughs> serious issues. I've been in a mental institution. My wife has left me. One of my children won't talk to me. But yet, you know, this is, this is the last house on the block for me. You know, no matter how far down, you know, I went, Alcoholics Anonymous was there for me. You know, this last time when I came, when I, uh, when I, uh, couldn't, I, I couldn't do it anymore. And uh, I called, you know, my friend, my friend Alex, he called me up one day and I, I had, uh, I'd just gotten out of the mental institution and he, um, he called me up and goes, what's going on? I said, get over here. <laughs> and he babysat me for three days. I'm still missing the steak knife that he took out of my steak, drawer, steak knife drawer and slept under his pillow. Um, and, uh, and he saved my life because he took me to meetings and he introduced me to a, a really active, sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous that saved my life. And I'll talk m more about that in a minute. Um, so I'm in Santa Maria. Um, now I'm... Now I want to, um, I want to, I want to take care, I want to get over these defects of character, right? I want to get better, right? So I have 10 years of sobriety, uh, so it's 97 now, and um, I, 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 uh, I'm in therapy with my wife, and uh, the therapist says, you know what, your wife says you're fat, we can fix that, just take these little pills. And uh, they were fen-fen. Now, if you don't know what that is, that's speed. And so um, I took them. In fact, I took a, mo a little bit more than prescribed because I want to feel good now, as Tom would say. And, um, and uh, I went back to him, and he said, well, this is great. You're getting a lot of results. I said, by the way, I need another prescription. And, you know, 4 o'clock in the morning, two weeks later, I'm installing uh, a brand-new sprinkler system in my front lawn. <laughs> And uh, my wife's yelling at me, you know, are you going to come to bed? I go, I just need to finish this. So the next day I, I got out the big book and I went over the different types of alcoholics and I told her how I was going to become a heavy drinker and, sh and uh, she said, no, I think you need to call your sponsor and, uh, and I lost 10 years of sobriety. So I came right back to Alcoholics Anonymous and I stayed sober from, um, from 32 to 52. 
So there's 20 years, again, in Alcoholics Anonymous doing the best that I could. But when my wife left me about mm, six or seven years ago, I was about 15 years sober, um, I checked out. I checked out. I, uh, I thought I was, uh, you know, a wealthy man about town, and I went and skied the Matterhorn and went to the French Riviera at the Cannes Film Festival and, uh, and uh, was at the Monaco Grand Prix, and I just, I just was in full flight from reality. I ran all my cards up. I bankrupted myself. And at the end of it, uh, staying on Balboa Island, um, and I had a girlfriend, and one night um, uh, I said, you know, why don't we get a drink? And she's like, okay. <laughs> she had no idea the gates of hell that she was opening. And, uh, and uh, about three days later of drinking, I needed, my, uh, I needed my marching powder. And I went on the internet and I started asking on the internet for somebody to sell me that stuff. And uh, somebody said, dude, you're going to get us all arrested. Meet me at this place. And stop asking for it on the internet. <laughs> like searching Tina and just all this stuff. And roofing tar and all this stuff. You know, I'm 30 years member of Alcoholics Anonymous trying to use, you know, Craigslist. You know, it's just... <laughs> I did get a solution to that on one of my relapse. So anyway, so I come back and I... And I... And I... I uh, three days after 19 years sober, uh, I get this stuff, and on my third day, I've been up for three days. I, I, by the way, I don't know how to moderate, and there's a reason I got sober at 22. I only know how to go until I have to call an ambulance to go to the hospital. That's the only way I know how to drink and party. So if you know how to moderate and hold jobs and all that stuff, great, get a different sponsor. But if you're a complete fall-down pig like me and have to go to the emergency room and then go to the mental institution, I'm your guy. <laughs> Anyway, I get, um, I, uh, so now I, um, on the third day, it feels like someone walks up behind me and hits me with a sledgehammer, and I fall down on the bed, and I'm saying, you know, I'm dying, I'm dying, and she's on top of me with the phone, 911. After 19 years, you'd think you'd get a little bit of runway. And, and uh, so, anyway, I finally passed out and went to sleep. I hadn't eaten anything for three days, so no wonder I felt like I was dying. So, um, so I go back to AA, and I get 30 days and drink again. I made sure during these seven relapses over a two-year period, I have 18, 20 months sober now, I made sure during these seven relapses that I skewered every single AA uh, cow. Like, I've never heard of anybody that got down on their hands and knees and asked God to keep them sober that day that went out and drank. I'm your guy. Uh, <laughs> whatever, whatever the story, whatever the things are there in the big book that you just hear from people just blah, 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 um, I, I skewered every single one of them. And... Um, I realized on one of my relapses that the problem was is that the local cartel was cutting the cocaine with too much methamphetamine. So I, I bought a one-way plane ticket to Medellin, uh, Colombia to get down to the location where they make the stuff. And um, I'm, I went down there and I walked up to a bartender and I asked him if he would introduce me to Pablo Escobar. <laughs> and he, he laughed and, uh, and I made it down there. I, I, um, I had, I had like six plane tickets to go around the world. I had plenty of money, and I went down there to go, you know, do my thing and party for the rest of my life and just sail off into the sunset. And um, I made it three days before I was convulsing in my hotel room. Um, another time, I stole my dad's car, and I came out of a blackout. I came out of a blackout in a hospital room. I guess I had driven the car um, and crawled out on my hands and knees with an open gallon of vodka in my backpack and I was rolling around on some nice person's lawn crying that I used to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Pretty pitiful. Why she didn't call the police, I have no idea, but she paid for an ambulance to take me to the hospital. And um, 
I am convinced that um, there is no human power um, that can relieve me of my alcoholism. I'm, I absolutely believe that, uh, uh, that sobriety is a gift. I don't think that I chose sobriety, I think sobriety chose me. Um, you know, um, people say, you know, when you're in treatment or whatever, it's like, I'm going to go work the first three steps. Awesome, great, I got my little book and stuff like that, and I'm going to write out all my assignments and da da da. I don't believe that we, that we work the first three steps. I think the bottle beats the living you know what out of us. It's just my opinion. Um, because if, if I uh, can't admit that I'm powerless and my life was unmanageable, alcohol did that to me. I'm not admitting anything. I'm just realizing that I have so many arrows in my rear end that we're getting close? Yeah, yeah. One minute. No, 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 you're at five. Five, okay, great. So we have so many arrows in us that it's like, okay, I'm willing to, um, I'm, I'm willing to consider that idea. So then step two is, uh, you know, made a decision, uh, excuse me, I came to believe that a power could restore me to sanity, right? So again, alcohol did that to me because I'm clearly insane. I'm in the mental institution. So, and again, the third step for me is I'm willing to try something else, right? Um, and so at that point, then it's like, okay, am I willing to uh, do the rest of the steps? And, and so the, the last thing that I'll really say, and I'll, I'll finish early, is um, the piece that's been missing in my recovery was um, humility. Um, you know, I got sober, you know, even the newcomers are nodding, yes, yes, humility. So, like I have one day of sobriety, is like, yeah, you have no humility. Um, oh, it's perfect, it's perfect. So um, I... Um, I, I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, I got sober at a young age, and now that I was sober, I was going to go live my life. And I'll go to meetings, and I'll, uh, you know, I'll work your stupid steps, and I'll sponsor people, and I'll you know, be a social butterfly or whatever, you know. but I was never willing to turn over the dark corners uh, of my life uh, to, uh, to another sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And what saved my life was... <coughs> Um, I met this man, his name's Rob Horsch, and uh, he's mentally ill by his own admission. And uh, he has built a box so constrictive of me and my behavior and where I could go and what I um, did that, um, that, he, uh, that a miracle happened. And seven relapses, um, and uh, I didn't even tell you about going to TJ, I went down there to kill myself, and that's, uh, that, was, that was bad. But anyway, um, I did get sober 20 months ago, and. Um, and what he's done is he's applied spiritual principles in all these areas of my life. So when I was new this time, uh, one of the old timers put their keys down on my seat and uh, I got into a, like a yelling match with him or whatever and I called him and I said, can you believe this old timer, he's such an idiot. And he said, no, you're going to call him and apologize to him. And I'm like, I had to decide right then there at like a week sober, was I going to live upon a spiritual basis or was I going to die an alcoholic death because that's how far it would come down for me. And so I did it begrudgingly and when I got off the phone apologizing to this person that I didn't like, um, I felt a little bit of peace. And that's what I'll share with you tonight is if you're willing to trust somebody uh, with all areas of your life and, and take their direction. Um, then, then hopefully you can find a little bit of humility um, and in that way maybe the, the, the horrible obsession to drink and to use will be expelled for you like it was for me. Thank you very much for letting me share. Yeah.